Well, Sim uh, really limited my subject. He gave me the subject of the gospel. So obviously there's no way that I can possibly cover that in one message. I thought it might be a good idea to start out with letting you know a little bit about myself, not too much. I don't want to be too vulnerable. But some of you might remember a number of weeks ago on a Sunday night, Sim said, told you about this little boy of six that had given his heart to Christ and his sins were forgiven and it felt as if a huge load had been lifted off his back. That little boy was me. But at the age of four, I had heard the gospel message many times, having grown up in a Christian household. That has its advantages, it also has its disadvantages. But at the age of four, I would hear gospel messages And I knew that that night I needed to give my heart to Jesus. But I always had an excuse. Next week. Next week came and it was next week. From the age of four till finally at the age of six. I was sitting on my dad's knee one night and he was reading me some stories that were written on the scriptures for children. And that night I knew that was the night. And when I woke up in the morning after speaking to the Lord about my sins, I wondered what happened to me. It was as if I was lighter than air. Now, that was my experience. Not everybody's experience is like that. That was my experience. So at the age of six, I guess I'm just beginning to read at school. And the only book that I read was my Bible. And I wasn't a very good reader, and I hated reading. But I read my Bible. And I got to know my Bible a bit as a young boy. When I reached my teenage years... I began to take an interest in Bible prophecy. So I thought I would like to begin to try and understand the prophetic writings regarding the end days. And I must have been sharing something with my grandfather one day about what I was learning. And he tried to persuade me not to study end time prophecy. I was probably 17, 18 years old at that point in time. And I remember to this day, I turned to my grandfather and I said, Grandpa, I said, I have to study biblical prophecy because there's going to come a day when we will be in the last days and people are going to want to know what's happening. And they need somebody that they can turn to that has some answers. We are 
living in these last days. Just as a reminder, I brought my Amplified Bible, if I can read it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul writes to it, oh, there's lights there. Oh, okay. Thanks, Peter. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, understand this, and you've all read this. We're just going to read it again. That in the last days will come perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money, and aroused by an inordinate greed, desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They'll be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. Any question we're living in the last days? As a result of that, the burden on my heart tonight is that We're going into these last days now. We have entered the last days. And my concern is that the body of Christ is prepared for these last days. So when Sim gave me the the subject to work from, the gospel, that's where we need to start. My concern is the salvation of souls, and especially... Over the years, I have seen such a decline in the church at large where people have said that they've been saved, but there's no changed life. If that is the case, something is missing in the gospel. And I want to address that tonight. If you want to look up a verse, you can look up Romans 1, in which Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that goes to church and reads their Bible and does good to their fellow man and prays every day. Oh, sorry, that that must be one of the new versions. Because it seems that that's what people tend to think. 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Without exception, there's nothing that any of us have to do to qualify to have our sins forgiven. Nothing. It's to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And as for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. How does he do that? First of all, we have to focus on the cross where Jesus died and he completely in his own body took upon himself our sins so that God could judge sin in the body of his beloved son instead of judging us. So that he can be righteous in forgiving the sinner. That's what Paul says he is not ashamed of. Those of you that go door to door will realize something of what feedback you get. But don't be ashamed. The last days we're living in, every single soul needs to hear the gospel of what Christ has done. The gospel is good news. If you hear a preaching that's not good news, it's not the gospel. It doesn't represent Jesus Christ. It doesn't represent the Father's heart. It's good news. News, by definition, is past tense. It's what God has already done. God doesn't have to do anything else to reach the sinner. He's already given his very best, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for sin. Sin came into the world, as we know, by one man, Adam. And as a result, we've all sinned. Anybody here is an exemption to that? Hmm? We've all sinned. All of us. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. Sim's message this morning on obedience. They disobeyed God. Sin entered the world through one man. If you look at the word entered... Tonight, you entered the tent. You had to go through the doors. There's two possibilities. Somebody could have opened the door for you to come in, or you opened the door yourself. Adam and Eve opened the door and allowed sin into the world. And we've had a problem with it ever since. And you know what God did? He said, scrap it. Let's start over again. Why didn't he do that? 
He didn't do it because he made man in his image and in his likeness. God loved man. So he says, now what am I going to do? Man has sinned. I can't have this. What am I going to do? I'd never planned on this. Is that right? God had never planned on it? Well, let's have a look. First of all, in Job, I have to smile every time I read Job 38. After going through all the struggles and all the advice he was given, and you know, Job's at his wit's end, and he's thinking, boy, I've got to talk to God about this. I'm confused. So he approaches God and he says, God, you know, you've heard what all these friends of mine have been saying. I'm confused. I've got some questions for you. And God turns to Job and he says, just a minute. Before you ask me a question, let me ask you a question. Where were you when the foundations of the world were laid? Don't remember seeing you. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted, for joy. Uh-oh. There were beings. There were heavenly beings before man was created. At the foundation of the world, the sons of God shouted for joy. They were there witnessing what God was doing. He was doing something different than they had ever seen before. They weren't quite sure what this was. But they must have been privy to the fact that God was going to create man in his image and in his likeness. So let's go back again before the foundation of the world. A scripture that we're all familiar with, that Peter writes about, and he says that we have not been redeemed by silver or gold from our vain conversation which was handed down to us through our fathers, but by precious blood. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world. John in the Revelation he sees in chapter 13 the beast and everyone having to worship the beast. And this is what he, he says. It was granted to the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. Slain from before the foundation of the world. 
Not that that event actually took place, but God looking down through time, knowing that man would sin, had already provided the answer. He saw a lamb slain, John says, from the foundation of the world. God's plan for our salvation began even before Adam and Eve were created. Was there a bigger picture to that? Why then did God create man and knowing full well that man would sin and yet had provided an answer to that even before Adam and Eve sinned? I wonder how many have noticed this. Ephesians chapter 3 says, when Paul is talking about the mystery that was hidden in ages past, he's referring to the church. If you go through the Old Testament, you'll see no reference to the church. So Paul says it was hidden, it was a mystery that was hidden there in the Old Testament times. And he says, um, which has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold witness wisdom of God might be made known to the church, through the church, to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. That was his purpose. He already had a heavenly family. And when they rebelled, there was no redemption. And he wanted to show those heavenly beings what he was like. He would create man. Man would fail. Man would be disobedient. Man would turn his back against him. But he had a redemptive purpose in making man so that when you and I receive salvation through belief in Christ the heavens are now able to look in and see what God is like that God could provide a way for sinful man to come back into fellowship with him that they could never have experienced I think of that day, you know, when I gave my heart to the Lord. I was a bit overwhelmed. In fact, I was overwhelmed to think that I was a sinner. I wasn't even taking into consideration my age. I understood. And I have said down through my lifetime, don't underestimate what young people take in. I was four and I knew. We have a responsibility to teach our children in the ways of God. You see, sometimes we think perhaps that I'm not good enough, 
and I'm not good enough. But I'm no different than anybody else. You're no different than me. David says in Psalm 51, he says, I was conceived in sin and I was born in iniquity. We aren't sinners. You would have heard Charles Price talk about this if you were here. We're not sinners because we're sin. We sin. We're sinners because we were born that way. Salvation is available to all of us without any exception. We're all sinners. We can't come into salvation based on our genealogy, on the church we went to, etc. We're all on level ground here. We have to come by way of the cross. Romans 3 is often referred to. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Does all mean something different than all? Can we work our way around that one? All means all, for there's no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There you have God's standard for man to live by. So many times we have a mistaken understanding that the Ten Commandments is the standard. No. Much, much higher than that. Paul says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's an illustration of archery. So when you shoot an arrow, if you miss the bullseye, no matter whether it's a millimeter or a yard or a mile, you've missed the mark. The standard that God has set is his glory. Anybody here that can measure up to that? No. When we're all sinners born in sin, there's no possible way that we can. Unless a change comes about in us. Unless we have come to the Lord and asked him to forgive us of our sins. He changes us, and it is possible for the believer to come to that level. And the way in which that happens is when we look on the face of Jesus. When we look on his face, we are changed from glory to glory to glory. Nothing else is going to change our lives but Jesus Christ. If you think there's something that you can do to help measure up, you can waste your whole lifetime trying to do it. The standard that God wants for us is his glory. None of us can measure up on our own. No possible way.
So let's follow the subject of sin very briefly. I'm just going to touch on some highlights. Sin enters the world through one man. The period of time from Adam until Moses, there was no law. And when there's no law, you can't be found guilty. So if there's no law for the speed limit here and I want to go 140, and the police calls me over and says, you can't do that. I say, well, why can't I? I didn't see any signs. But if the law limits it and says it's 100 kilometers an hour, then I'm found guilty. But from the time of Adam until Moses, there was no law. That doesn't mean that people didn't sin, but there was no law. As soon as the law was introduced... It made man realize that they were guilty and that they were sinners. And that was given to Israel, not to the nations. It was given to Israel. What did God instruct Moses to do immediately after giving the Ten Commandments? The very next thing, he gives him instructions on building a tabernacle according to the pattern that was in heaven. And he gave him instructions on the sacrificial system, on the priestly duties, on the ceremonial laws. Why did he introduce sacrifices immediately after the Ten Commandments? Because he knew that they couldn't keep them. In fact, within 40 days, they disobeyed the very first commandment and built a golden calf. God knew that man could not keep them. Israel then lived their lifetime until we reached the time of Jesus Christ. That first law that was given and that Moses delivered is referred to as the Old Covenant. That's why we call it the Old Testament. But in Jeremiah 31, he says, I will make a new covenant with Israel and with Judah, and it will be in this manner. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Under the Mosaic law, it was based on if you kept the law, you were blessed. If you broke the law, you were cursed. And in fact... If, and I might have to have sin's help here. I'm thinking back to my great-grandfather sinned. And the sins of my great-grandfather are passed down to the third and fourth generation. I'm still then under the curse. So if that was Mosaic law, that I was under a curse if I didn't obey it, but the new covenant says your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. Something had to come in that was drastic to change the heart of God towards man. Something intervened between those two covenants. Which we then realize it had to be Jesus. The cross was that dividing point where Jesus took upon him the curse. Because it says, Cursed is everyone that is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse for us. 
changed the heart of God toward us. That he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. That's the gospel of God. Problem is, something has happened in the communication of that. About 27 years ago, we had two daughters that went and took a leadership course in Whitby. And as a result, maybe not every weekend, but most weekends, we would drive to Whitby and pick them up and bring them home, take them back. And that's what, I think, two, two and a half hour drive. We're almost home, if you're familiar with the 401. We were going to cut off at the Drumbo cutoff and come into Woodstock. When our son in the back seat, the age of 10, said to me, Dad, I got a question. I said, what's that, Paul? What's your question? He says, how do you know if you're really saved? Or is it just in your mind? Pretty profound question. We can hear the gospel message over and over and over and over. And my concern is, all it is is a mental exercise and believing a historical event. When that happens, there's no changed life. It's affected our minds. We may even try to live like a Christian ought to live. And when we do, it's like pushing a bus up a hill. And it's a struggle. The Christian life is not pleasant but I have to keep up an appearance and I've got to look like a Christian. Something has to change. Either the gospel has to change or there's something that I'm missing. John writes in his gospel, he says, Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That is why I told you that, I, that you will die under the curse of your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Therefore, something must be amiss in our understanding of believing. If I'm going to believe this as a historical event, my life is not going to change. However, if I believe from my heart, how do you describe that one? We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. What about the heart? A lot of you here are uh, unmarried, I think. Some of you for a few years. And the kids come up to you and say, Mom, how did you know? 
But dad was the one for you. And mama says, well, I can't explain it. I just knew it in my heart. There was just something there in my heart that I knew. Have you ever reached that point in speaking to Jesus? Where you actually asked him, Jesus, I am a sinner. Yes, I believe I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? I'm wondering how many people have made that step. Or have you just believed some historical event? Have you actually had a conversation with God about your sins? If you have, your life will be totally different. Now there's another class of people. And these are the people that are much more difficult to reach. Those are people that have grown up in a church. That's why I say there's advantages and there's disadvantages. You've grown up in a church and maybe you've gone through a series of teachings and studies and at the end of it you've written a paper and you got X number percent and maybe you even got a plaque you can put on your wall. See? There's proof of the fact that I'm saved. See the plaque? Yeah, my sins are forgiven. I took all the courses. But you've never had a personal talk with Jesus. It comes down to the same thing. I'm all for studying Scripture. In fact, maybe I might nitpick too much. But I can say, okay, what does the scripture say? Show it to me. If you can show it to me, I'll believe it. Even Sim can do that. You'll find out. (laughs) That's what I'm like. I'm all for studying. So we can go through all the courses and we can get the certificate. But let me tell you what Jesus said. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me, but you won't come to me that you might receive life. You can waste your whole lifetime thinking by the study of scripture that you're saved. But somehow if you just read a bit more, if you just pray a bit more, if you just do a bit more, all based on what I do, maybe I'll finally come to a point where God is going to forgive me of my sins and never, ever spoke to him about it. This is sad. The reason I'm impressing this on you is because of the days that are ahead. If this has not been settled in your heart and know for sure that you know for sure that you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you're not going to survive what we're facing in short time. We need to be prepared for the days that are upon us. 
It must start with having that firm foundation, knowing that your sins are forgiven or you're not going to survive. It's going to be difficult enough for those who are believers because I hope I'm not being too critical. But my observation is that the foundations that undergird our belief system are very weak at the the best. We need a, a foundation. First of all, your sins are forgiven. Then there's so much more to the Christian life than that. In fact, at the age of six, I knew that Jesus died for my sins. What I wasn't told, what I didn't understand until years later, was that there was more to what the blood of Jesus did. The blood of Jesus redeems us from our sins, right? Now we're going to get into some of these doctrinal, theological words. Let's try and not maybe word it in such a way. But they're, fu- they're fundamental. So, at the moment of salvation, we were set apart by God, made holy, which is the word sanctification. That happened immediately, the moment you were saved. You now have boldness to come before the throne of God and tell him what's on your heart. Request what you want. He's the God of the universe. He's got more available to you than you could ever ask for. It's limitless. He has declared you to be righteous. He's justified you. The moment you believed, he's given you a clear conscience. Clear conscience now. You're no longer afraid because of this, that, and the other, and sin is bombarding you and the world and everything else. Now I've got a clear conscience before God. And at that very moment, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, and I am in you. The believer in Jesus Christ has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tell me how you can not have a changed life and all that happen in that very moment. If you have not had a changed life by coming to God, telling him you're a sinner, it doesn't require flowery words. It doesn't require you repeating after something that I'm going to say. Just come to God. What is ever what's on your heart? And tell God, I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me? And he will change your life. It'll never be the same again. You know, we often quote John 3.16. Just before I start, anybody here that can recite John 3.17? I know Judy can. <clears throat> before she put her hand up. What about verse 18? Oh, I even get stuck on 18.
Oh, okay. We'll use this one. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm all done. You're all right. Okay. All done. Thanks, Sam. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, once again, it's not based on how good you are, what church you went to, how many times you've read your Bible. Is that okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him may not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That is profound. Because we think that God prior to our salvation is condemning us. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, well, we're just about done, it's okay. Sorry. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn you. This is another subject altogether. It's the subject of reconciliation. Can't go into it now. Don't want to be too long. Is God condemning you? Anybody here? God condemning you? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not his wrath. Jesus took upon himself all the wrath of God for sin so that you and I don't have to. How much better news could you have today? Your life can be changed tonight. You may have sat in a church for all your life and you have never actually made that decision to talk to God about your sins. Tonight's the night. The days ahead are going to be difficult. A foundation needs to be laid for the people of God to be able to withstand what we may have to face in the days ahead. But tonight is the night. If anybody here has never spoken to God about your sins, you need to do it. And you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead because with the heart is believed unto righteousness. Not your righteousness, Christ's righteousness. He will give you his righteousness and confess with your mouth unto salvation. It is necessary for anyone here tonight that if you've realized that the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart, prompting you to make this decision tonight, that you need to confess with your mouth. Tell somebody 
Sim's available, I'm available, Joe's available, lots of people here available. Don't go away tonight. This is not scare tactic, but we're all very much aware in the last number of weeks the brevity of life. And none of us have any guarantee of tomorrow. Don't do what I did at the age of four. Make that decision tonight and your life will be totally transformed because your heart will be changed.